speakers. There were a lot of people that came through those doors that day, and I was blessed several times with listeners coming up to my booth and talking to me about the show. That was a thrill for me. To those of you who stopped by, my heartfelt thanks. Now, at one point during that day, I was fortunate enough to sit down briefly with Cliff Berrickman. You'll recognize that name from Finding Bigfoot and from the podcast Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. Now, admittedly, at the beginning of the interview, I may have been a little flustered, and I flubbed up the name of their podcast. But in fairness to me, It is very similar to a local podcast that I do in our community called Beyond Sports with Biggie and Bob. So, give me a little grace on that. Now, as I said, it's a brief interview. It runs about 20 minutes. But it is all things Bigfoot. And I thought you'd enjoy hearing it. So here's a little gift for you guys with a bonus mini episode. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, stopping by the booth is Mr. Cliff Barackman of Finding Bigfoot fame. And now, more recently with uh, Beyond Bigfoot with Cliff. No, Bigfoot and Beyond Bigfoot with Cliff and, and Bobo. Big, I keep saying it wrong. I just My son said, nope, nope, that wasn't it. Bigfoot <laughs> Close enough. You know, I, don't, I don't know the name of my own podcast some days either. It's totally fine. But you're, you're doing that show with, uh, with a longtime friend and uh, co-worker from Bigfoot, uh, or Finding Bigfoot. Um, it's a great show. Um, how, did, how did that, was that kind of a natural thing for you guys to, to just fall into? Or? Yeah, I mean, Bobo's been one of my best friends for a long, long time. I love the man. And uh, he and I basically speak quite frequently anyway, you know, mm-hmm. mostly about Bigfoot stuff, it seems. And, um, and after the show ended and uh, people were saying, well, how, where can we see you? And, you know, you're my favorite or, you know, this guy's whatever. And they, where can we see? Are there any more shows? You know, well, we don't have anything planned. But I was, it occurred to me one day, it's like, well, Bobes, you and I are already hanging out talking anyway. And people apparently want to listen. And so they do, yeah. basically. Yeah, it's, it's great because... And I don't mean any disrespect to the rest of the, the members of Finding Bigfoot, but you two were, were my favorite of the, of the four. 
Yeah, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm my favorite, personally. <laughs> but, but, you know, don't tell Bobo that because Bobo thinks that he's my favorite. <laughs> but, you know, I, what I didn't, I did not appreciate about the show is the treatment of how they treated Bobo. Because they, they made him seem... And when you listen to him talk, even though he's got that, uh, that, that California uh, surfer sound to him, um, they, they kind of edit him to sound not so intelligent. Well, in some it's, cases, it's the but, Bobes. He, but he is, but Bobes he is, is very knowledgeable. Guy. He's ridiculous, and, but he's absolutely knowledgeable. He doesn't get the fair shake, actually, because he is one of the the, the most well-read um, people I know. He's really smart. Um, he's, he's has wacky ideas. Don't get me wrong. He's a super eccentric, weird guy. Yeah. Um, but that's part of his charm, and that's why we all love Bobo. Is because he does the things that either we would only dream of doing, or we would never dream of doing. Yeah, it, it's it's a good show. I enjoy listening to it, and like I said, it's the it's the the best half of um, what I enjoyed about Finding Bigfoot. Um, yeah, although well, Moneymaker and Renee, they they had their roles. Don't get me wrong, I, sure. and I, I like both of them. Um, you know, Renee's, Renee's a lovely person, and then Matt is Matt. You know, and I love him. He's a he's a brother in a lot of ways. You know, he's my road family. Mm-hmm. You know, we we all all four of us spent so much time together in so many different circumstances, many of which were extraordinarily uncomfortable. Um, out in the woods or in other countries or you know, just just trap getting getting all squatchy and stuff out there. We've gone through a lot. So I think each one of us had our role to play. But I would like to think that by watching the show and particularly listening to the podcast, you can tell that Bobo and I in particular are very, very good friends and have been. And don't get me wrong. No, it comes uh, off. Matt and Renee are yeah. also my friends. But Bobo and I have spent a tremendous amount of time in the woods bigfooting together because of our schedules. Right. Um, before the show, I was an elementary school teacher. I had summers off. And Bobo was essentially a, a professional fisherman, you know, cr- a commercial fisherman. And that's a very seasonal occupation. So we had big chunks of time off. We would go to the... One, I mean, we spent, I think, like seven weeks together one time straight. Wow. And um, I think some of that camaraderie shows and comes off a little bit in the podcast. It does. It, it very much does. You do sound like you're very, very close. Um, so, you know, go, you've been doing this for how many years of your life now? Bigfoot stuff? Yeah. Oh, God. What year is it? Um, <laughs> 2021. <laughs> okay, thanks. Um, 27 years? Yeah. So, I mean, out in the field. I've been reading, I was reading everything I could a few years before that, too. So. Yeah. And so I just I just had an interview a couple of nights ago with a gentleman from, uh, of all places, New Jersey, who is in Sussex County, and he has spent 10 years in research, out in the field researching Bigfoot, and he feels that he's come up with, like, uh, two groups of, of Bigfoot that kind of circle that, that state almost in, uh, almost a couple of months apart from each other following with the, the transition of uh, berry-bearing fruit or uh, berry-bearing uh, plants. And, and in a conversation with him, I, he's like, I'm 70% sure that they exist. He's, he's found footprints. He's track-casted. He's, he's found other uh, sign of them, you know, structure-wise and, and stuff like that. He's found hair. Uh, he can't afford to have it tested, but he has. He says he's got more bags of poop than you know anybody should in their freezer. Yeah, um, like one, but yeah. if, but, <laughs> but when uh, when pressed to, as far as how much he is firmly convinced that these things exist, he says I'm I'm at about seventy percent. And to spend ten years of your life investigating and then be at seventy percent to me, he says I would have to see 
physically see it to be at 100%. And I understand that, but, like, where are you at? Oh, I know they're real, but I also knew they're real long before I saw one because I'm not one of those people that needs to see it to believe it. And that's where evidence I'm is good enough for me. I'm an evidence-based researcher. When you weigh the evidence, uh, I think it's pretty clear that they're there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, for example, I've never seen an atom, but I'm really confident that they're there. <laughs> that they're there. <laughs> yeah, really confident. For a long time, I, I, before I had saw my first mountain lion, I was sure that they're there, too, yeah. without seeing one. You know, um, and of course, people say, "Well, that's because we have bones." And uh, yeah, okay, that's true. But nonetheless, I, I was convinced that they were there. You know, and like, and, and I think atoms and black holes and other things that are um, there mathematically and based on the evidence are, are just as legitimate to point to. And Sasquatches are like that. You know, the evidence is clear; they are real animals. Now, what's the most compelling evidence for you? In their existence. Yeah, people ask me that all the time, and they expect me to say a certain footprint or the film, you know, PG film or something like mm -hmm. that. And it's really not. And I've talked at length with Dr. Meldrum about this, is that people want a soundbite answer, but there isn't one. Um, yeah, there are some compelling films or compelling footprints and stuff, but really it's how they all fit together. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of like saying, which one of these puzzle pieces is the most compelling piece to show us that it's a, a kitty in a mug or something like right. that? It's not. It's the way all these different pieces of evidence fit together. Um, for example, and this is just off the top of my head, okay, so Sasquatch, foot, Sasquatch feet are flexible in the mid part of the foot. They have a midfoot flexibility behind the metatarsals. Well, we've uh, deduced that from footprints, okay? Um, and Dr. Meldrum was the first guy to put eyes on that, really, because it took his eyes to see it. We have been seeing the traces of that for a long, long time. Uh, the most famous example would be the Laverty, photo, the Laverty photograph in the Patterson-Gimlin film site taken on the following Monday. So that'd be 20, 21, 22, on the 23rd of uh, October, 1967, with that big mid pressure ridge in there. The photograph was taken, and for a long time, the Bigfoot investigators and researchers were saying, oh, that's probably that stick off to the side or whatever. But it took someone with a, with special, with a specialty like Dr. Meldrum, who literally got his master's degree studying Australopithecine foot structure. Okay, like the extinct hominin foot structure. Okay, right, yeah. um, it took his eyes to recognize what we were all looking at. We've all been seeing the same thing, but his eyes recognized that, the and he published difference. a paper in 2000 or 2001. Okay, um, but yet if you go back to the very first known Sasquatch footprint, and that's still in existence, is the Jerry Crew cast from mm -hmm. 1958. Well, you can see that same feature in that print. But yet it wasn't explained for, what, another 40-something years yeah. after that. Now, I, I, I said that that's how all the evidence fits together, right? So this feature, this flexibility in the mid part of the foot, is, it isn't just from the Patterson-Gimlin film. It's from casts pretty much wherever. If you have five or six, seven casts in a row, um, one of those casts is going to give some indication of that, depending on the substrate. Almost certainly one of those casts will show us that, okay? Now, let's look at the Patterson-Gimlin film. Mm -hmm. You can see her foot bending in that position in the film. Right, exactly. Okay? Yeah. Um, so that's an example of how the evidence is congruent and fits together like a puzzle piece. And that is the most compelling evidence. It's not one piece. It's actually, uh, uh, it's like a 30,000-foot view of the evidence and seeing how it is all internally consistent that is the most compelling thing about the evidence. So it's yeah. not a piece. I was having a discussion with my son uh, about that, that bending of the foot in the Patterson-Gimlin film. And it wasn't until very recently that I came across, I believe it was a, a, a breakdown by M.K. Davis, who had stabilized the film and then actually went in and showed as that foot bends that you can see where what you're talking about, where the mid-tarsal break is. And yeah, M.K. sent some uh, good work. And yeah, like, uh, his he was a brilliant person to uh, apply the, 
the technique of blink photography, which is an astro- astronomical uh, technique, because um, he's an amateur astronomer, just right. like I am. And that's how, um, like, Clyde Tombaugh, for example, discovered the planet Pluto, you know, by doing blink photography back and forth between a few different days' photographs, and planets move and the stars don't. So he saw the, the planet moving back, and that, that's how he discovered it in the 1930s. And so he decided, oh, let's do that to the PG film. And it was a brilliant idea. A lot of interesting information has come to the surface from that idea. So I, hats off to um, M.K. Davis. Yeah, it's a, and that was a contention on his side. Is he's like, you know, they talk about this bend in the, in the foot, and I, I don't see it in the, the Patterson-Gimlin film. But yet when I sent him the, the M.K. Davis uh, uh, short bit that he did on it, and he was like, wow. All right, it's it's there. I mean, it's obvious. It's it shows right there. Yeah, I think it's pretty and fair to say. I mean, yeah. it's how we interpret it. And of course, we all interpret some things. Like M. Gate interprets some things out of the film that I certainly don't see. Right. But I think that that particular feature um, is is clear. Do you feel that there's uh, and and I'll ask this and I'll, I'll let you go because I know you're busy. Um, as far as the Patterson Gimlin film, there's been you know rumors for years and years that there was some uh, other other things that were going on during. Uh, just prior to the film that we actually get to see. You know, like there possibly was a number of other Sasquatch that um, maybe met with a a bad end. Have you ever... Yeah, I've heard that. I think it's nonsense. Yeah. Have you ever seen, like, is there... Because they say there's missing parts to the to the film. There's not. It's is what we. Well, the see. first reel is missing, but we, I mean, uh, uh, the original is missing. Yeah, there are some things about the film, like the the first reel. We don't know what the original is, but we have copies of it. In fact, there, I th- to my knowledge, I think there's four first generation copies, even right. though the original's gone. Yeah. And uh, there's a few frames um, in the film itself where it skips a few frames, but that's because it was an analog wind up spring run camera, and that's how they roll sometimes. You know, yeah. the the camera skipped a groove, kind of so to speak, and that's why those frames are missing. But there's no, there's no, you know, uh, there's no evidence whatsoever um, that holds up to any scrutiny at all that um, there was anything nefarious going on, or there's a, there's a, a massacre, or or um, there are other sasquatches in the area. Right. Yeah, there's blob squatches and stuff. But there's, sure. you know, I could take a picture of that plant right there and show you three big three bigfoot blob squatches. Yeah. Doesn't mean they're actually bigfoots, right? Right. It'd be silly to think that. Um, first guy to think, that, to my knowledge, to put that out was Eric Beckjord. And, of course, most of the things that Eric Beckjord said probably shouldn't be believed. Well, I wanted to know from you because you're, you're respected and, uh, I mean... Not by all. Well, <laughs> I, I, well I, you know, you can't, you can't force people to believe anything, but um, I think you seem like a, a super genuine guy and you and Bobo with the, the new podcast going, it's great. And uh, I just try to do the best I have with what I have, you know. Try to here's the deal with Bigfoot. Always tell the truth. Always stay your perspective, and 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 don't fuss and fight with people who disagree. Who cares if, if it's, nobody's got this thing nailed? Nobody really knows everything they need to know about Sasquatches. And, and, and until a type specimen is brought in and the academic pursuit is over, then kind of everything's on the table. Have fun with the subject. Enjoy it. Be cool to everybody. And, you know, don't be so threatened by ideas that are counter to your own. And that, you know, my own or who, yours or whoever's. Mm-hmm. Don't be threatened by alternate, uh, alternative ideas. Um, those alternative ideas are either true or they're not. And whatever the truth actually is, it can withstand the scrutiny and and whatever one says about bigfoot it should look it should be looked at very closely to see if it's true and um like i said no matter no matter what if it's true you can look at it as hard as you want and it'll still be true there's nothing threatening to any idea and in fact i think it's a sign of maturity and um and, and greater intelligence to be able to entertain opposing ideas 
without necessarily being convinced or threatened by them. And I think that that is sorely lacking in the Bigfoot community. Or having to make an argument against it. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, why does everybody have to get into a, 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 you know, a shit throwing contest with each other just because there's a different belief? Well, it's it's a level. It's again, it's intelligence and maturity. You know, and I think that uh, the more intelligent and the more mature you are, the less uh, opposing ideas threaten you. Now, I notice that you tend to stay away from like the woo type stuff. I'm an evidence-based researcher, and I've yet to find any evidence whatsoever that Sasquatches are anything but a perfectly normal species of mammal. No, yeah. I'm not. I'm not necessarily talking about you know these guys are interdimensional or anything like that. But you know the the odd lights in the woods and and stuff like that. Um, even Ron Moorhead. I mean, I mean that's a very respectable guy, and he says that in in the Sierra uh, area that he was at, you know, he had these rods of light that would come floating through, and weird stuff and happens. You, you know, it's have you have you ever experienced any kind of thing no, out there? Never, not once. Yeah, I've been with people who've experienced things. But I have not, and I was standing right next to him. Yeah. So no, I have not, and that, and you know, just like everybody else, I have to form my models of what I think Sasquatches do and are, et cetera, based on the evidence that I see and how I interpret it, and also my own personal experiences. And with what what I've experienced and what I've seen, I'm left with no other choice that these are perfectly normal higher primates of some sort. Yeah. Awesome. All right, sir. I appreciate you stopping by. No problem. And, Happy to do uh, it. Have a great night. Okay. Enjoy Only because you told me to, though. <laughs> I, I do want to get over there and uh, check out your your uh, your your goods. I'd like to pick up some. Oh, yeah. I'm selling some stuff for the museum. Yeah. All the money over there goes to the museum, by the way. It keeps the museum afloat. You want to plug that real quick for everybody? Yeah. yeah. North American Bigfoot Center is my, um, it's the museum. It's really more of a research center, educational institute, and like a, you know, museum, I guess. It's. Some people say it's a roadside attraction, but I mean, <laughs> I, I view it slightly different, a little bit more elevated, lofty position than that. Um, yeah, we've been open for about a year and a half. We barely survived COVID, um, had to shut down for many months. And, you know, there's been lots of months since I opened the business that I haven't taken a paycheck. It's a labor of love, and it's probably what I'll be spending the rest of my life doing. Um, I really, really like it, and I think that we're doing something good because at the end of the day, we're trying to educate the public about Sasquatches. When you look at the human record, we've got a really crappy one um, of all the atrocities and evil doings that we've done to each other and the environment and other animals, etc. And all of our evil doings, if you want to call them that, if I want to call them that, are always based out of ignorance. So I figured, you know what? I'm not going to prove the species because I'm not carrying a gun, and that's what it's going to take. Yeah. But that's unfortunate. It too. is unfortunate, but that's the way science. That's, I didn't write the rules. That's what science wrote, and right. that, that's what it takes. So if if you're advocating for the proving the species, you're advocating for a dead one. It's naive to think otherwise, in my opinion. I'm not doing that. I am trying to soften the blow of the eventual discovery of the species by educating about them. I don't want to see them being treated like uh, gorillas were treated in the 1930s and 40s, that these monsters or whatever, these inhuman monsters. I am trying to educate the public that they're already there. They're not killing you. They're not coming after you. They're not stealing your children and eating them. They're not doing anything like that. They're just there. If if they're discovered today, nothing changes because they're real right now. Yeah. So, uh, and I think it's through the educational pursuit that perhaps something good can come from it. You know, like I think at the end of the day, like discovering Sasquatches might perhaps lead to a kinder, gentler human species. Perhaps we'll leave a smaller footprint on the planet once we realize that we share the planet with something very similar to us, possibly in our own um, uh, our own evolutionary line. Right. Um, I, I think it might do some good. 
they might save us. We could we could use some good. Oh yeah, hell yeah, yeah. totally. We could use some good. Yeah, we're the only species that craps in our bed and assumes it's not going to smell. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, sir, it's been a pleasure. Uh, it really has. I've been watching you for years, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you. And uh, I'd like to get over to your booth. Do you have any casts for sale here? I think I'm out. I've got one more, um, the telecast, I think. Well, let me get over there and take a look at it. Yeah, and, the, uh, the great Tom Shea and uh, um, Steve Cornell cast that one. I want to get, get one for the studio. So. All right. Yeah. Well, All right. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank I appreciate you. it. Ladies and gentlemen, Cliff right. Barackman. Thank you. I want to hear your stories. I want to hear your experiences. So email me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. If you like the show, please share it with your friends. Share it on your social media. The more people the show gets out to, the more experiences we'll have to listen to. You can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram or Twitter. We have t-shirts still available. $25. That includes shipping to anywhere in the continental U.S. Until next week, stay uncomfortable. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.